Welcome to Fur What It's Waffle Stomp. Y'all got some fucking problems. An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. Are we doing this? And now, coming to you live from both Salt Lake City and Seattle. Rue, do you have any rubbers? <laughs> this show is entrapment. Here are your two fools, Rue and Tugs. This is that time where everyone can just turn off their podcasting app of choice. Any last words before we actually do this? Whoa, welcome to For What It's Worth. Keep going. Nope. That was great. I, I had and the recorder on. I'm sure shit never doing that again. What? <laughs> Stupid, wacky DJ voice. <laughs> well, as everyone can guess, it's the start of season seven. So a couple uh, housekeeping items that we can't put off till later is that Rue fell ill. This is why Rue is not here. But he will hopefully be here one day. In the meantime, I brought in the wacky DJ voice, everyone's favorite social psychologist. I got it right, right? Yes. Okay, good. It's Nuka! I can't believe that, that the, the mic was recording at that time. I told you we were hot. There's no excuses. Yeah, well. Yeah, I'm sorry. Life is hard. Really Literally is. the worst. <laughs> How have you been? It's uh, when were you on last? You were on towards the end of last season, but when were you on? Uh, shortly after I moved here, but I don't remember the exact date. Probably sometime in uh, August, I think. February 30th. <laughs> and how do you like the new logo? Did you see the new logo? I did. I like that I'm in it. <laughs> that's it. That's its most attractive feature, really. Oh, okay. Because there's no no modesty. No, we did get a new logo, everyone, if you haven't seen it. it's it, the So there's three or four versions of it. The main version that has everyone in it is on our site, but we'll rotate the version that's used on the labels for the MP3. You know how there's the album art. That's what they call it. And so it will change just so that, you know, you have a little variety. And it's just a little thing that we've done to better represent what's going on in the show's evolution over time. The music's the same and the slogan is still the same, but the logo is full of sexy. I think what you need is over time for me to take up more and more of the logo and become a madder and crazier looking scientist. Until one day it's just me and you guys are all enslaved in the background with like lightning and signs everywhere. Sci- oh, science, not science. I'm like, science? Yes, science. No, science. science. So what, what are you doing now that you're in Canada? Are you teaching? Are you golfing? Are you eating I'm maple teaching, pancakes? teaching and eating poutine, mostly. Oh, I, you know, okay, so I've moved, right? And, yes. And husband had not gone up to to Canada at all, so he, was, he took his first trip to Canada where I properly had him uh, immediately go to Tim Hortons. But his first Tim Hortons was in a 7-Eleven that he chose. And I was like, we're not doing 7-Eleven oh, Tim Hortons. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I, we went over to the Metrotown Mall, which apparently is like the largest mall on earth. And it, it was like miles of stores. It was incredible. Um, and then he had poutine in there. Although I have to say, he's had poutine before, and he just wanted to try the Mick poutine to start low and not like ruin everything. Eh, and that's pretty low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. See, but but he didn't go like to the high end. He didn't go to the Dom Perignon route and be like, oh, everything else is shit. He didn't go to a poutinery. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know what? The, the poutine is is the best in Quebec, isn't it? Yeah. If you want to be really snobby about it, yes. Really, what makes someone snobby about poutine? Well, insisting that the cheese curds need to squeak or it's not proper poutine or. Um, you know, they have to use the right type of gravy or the right type of fries, or it's not the same. And really, it's possibly very, very elitist when it comes to it. I, you know, I should just make it here, but what happens if I make it and I'm not a Canadian? Do like I explode? I don't think it counts. I don't think the meal counts if you don't, you're not Canadian. (laughs) Oh, it's no, it's spelled P O T I N E. There's no U. Oh, is this? Poutine? Well, because you know how everything in Canada has a U color on Oh, there. I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, it's really? Just, oh, come potent. on. You lived here. You know we spell words funny. And, you, you know, use uh, Fahrenheit instead of Celsius, like weird people. I, I would love to change. I would love to change. So, do you have your fortune cookie ready? 
Uh, <laughs> no, I know you didn't. So I will push this button and we will do cookies. Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. Okay, so cookies today say, Life is not mystery to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. Smiley face, smiley face. Why are there smiley faces on cookies? I don't know. My cookie just says, I'm going to use a stupid voice and sound like an asshole. (laughs) Oh, man. Time for break. I was going to start doing the stupid voice and then I realized you'd probably hit go. No, now I did, though. So so do that woe again. Nope. Ah. Everyone's missing all the good stuff. I, but, I, but, I, but I am ethical and do not lie about being hot or cold on the mics. You know, because otherwise you wind up telling people you like cats. So, wait, not those kinds of cats. You are a cat. I meant Trump cats. So, <laughs> shit. So today we are talking about straight furries. Now, my perspective and background on this, and this is the same as Ruse when we talked about it, is that uh, for us, when you encounter a straight furry, it's a bit of an anomaly. Like, a lot of the art that Rue and I peruse, both naughty or nice, tends to be gay. A lot of my friends all happen to like penis. Are there some bicycles in there? Yeah, a few. Um, But it seems like it's either, like, just assume you're gay or you're unusual and so forth. So I brought Nuka on because straight furries were not available. And so (laughs) (laughs) what they had their little clock up, you know, it says we'll return at and thought that we would probe his brain. So first of all, Nuka, is that assumption correct that most furries are not straight? Phrase the exact way you put it. That is a correct statement. Technically most furries are not straight. Okay. Uh, the, the data suggests that about 30% of furries are straight. Um, that said, furries make or straight furries make up the largest demographic um, by a teensy tiny bit. So straight furries are 30%. Uh, bisexual furries are 29.9% wow. according to our latest numbers. And lesbian or gay, uh, gay furries are 18.6%. That does not make 100%. Yeah, because 5.7% are asexual and 15.8% are other. Other? Other or uh, undecided or undetermined or um, yes. When you give furries a blank space, they will put a lot of things in there. Right. and you But you account for that when you go through your data, right? So like if someone puts mostly straight, do you, do you <clears> count <throat> that as straight or do you count that as bisexual or do you leave it in the other category? So t- what we used to do is we used to use a Kinsey scale. So the zero to six scale, which was on one end predominantly heterosexual and the other end predominantly homosexual. Right. And then we used to stick bisexual right in the middle. And um, that's messy for its own reasons, because then we would take, OK, well, you know, do you take a person who's predominantly but not uh, you know, entirely homosexual? Do you count them as gay? Do you count them as their own category? So this time around with our Anthrocon data, we just said, you know, uh, check off any boxes that apply. And so, you know, straight, bi, asexual, lesbian, gay, et cetera, et cetera. We give a whole bunch of boxes. Uh, a little cleaner cut that way uh, in that regard. Hmm. Okay. okay. So, uh, yeah, so straight furries technically, um, more furries are not straight than are straights, but they're still the largest single demographic within the fandom. So they have a – it's not a majority. It's a plurality? <laughs> Um, they were, I was talking about this in Splatoon the other day, and yeah, uh, it's not it's not important. But the first email is so he says this is from Simone. Hi, Rue, Tugs, and all who make season seven possible. See the logo. Congratulations on the first new episode in the studio. And then there are about eighty eight million cookie emojis. I made a fox hat last week. I love it, but it's really hot to wear. I am a straight furry. I enjoy both straight and LGBT plus furry arts. Doesn't that anyway? It was back in 2011, when I was still in junior high, that I first discovered some gay arts by Lando, and yes, they were furry. What do I think of art? I love it. They're so sweet. Two fuzzy brothers cuddling, doing what lovers do. That couldn't be warmer. 
I had no idea what gay was before that, and through Lando's arts, furry and gay have left in me a good impression. So for the first time, I thought about my orientation and found girls were a lot more attractive to me. I can still enjoy sweet art, including the porn. I didn't think being a straight furry is a thing until I came out as straight in our Telegram chat, meaning the show chat. The fandom is so inclusive, so I believe straight furs can find our place. Hugs, Simone. Oh, and there's a picture of his fox hat. That is a very cute fox hat. It is a very good fox hat. It even has a brim. It does. He so here's the question. So he says I enjoy both gay and straight art, but he identifies as a straight furry. Now is that a common thing? Um I guess we've never specifically asked it, but um I don't see why not. Uh I, I can imagine that uh and, and say, well I would ask then I guess you, um, you know, can you still enjoy a piece of art that features, say, two women in it? Um you know, you can still enjoy the art, I imagine. You can still go, Oh, that's adorable, my, oh, that's cute. I my imagine. philosophy is good porn is good porn. Yeah, right. It's right. Uh, it's so much more than just what genitals are on the page. It's, you know, what themes are being conveyed. You know, uh, I imagine a, a perfectly straight person can look at, you know, uh, a really cute scene with with two guys cuddling or whatever and say, oh, that's adorable and appreciate these romantic or adorable overtones in it without, you know, having to see what genitals they have and say, oh, am I attracted to those or not? Okay. Okay. So one thing that's interesting, too, and coming into this episode, we probably should have started here, is the lack of classic heteronormativity being present in the fandom. People just don't assume that you're straight in the furry fandom, in, from my view. do you? What, what does your data say on that? Uh, whether people assume heteronormativity? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because like the fact that we have to do... Uh, someone said when we announced this topic, they said, I love that you have to make a topic about this because it's unusual. Hmm. I, I know that there are definitely um, stereotypes and cliches about this. Like I know that I've heard people say, you know, I'm the weird anomalous straight furry, which is, again, the data don't quite, you know, bear that out. Um, but there's definitely that that stereotype that exists and people kind of assume that uh, straight furries are perhaps more uh, rare than uh, they actually are. Uh, perhaps it's because the the... Because, for example, we're so used to seeing so little gay art in the rest of society, when you see so much of it, relatively speaking, in the furry fandom, um, it seems like a huge amount of it. And so um, you don't necessarily notice uh, how much straight art there is when you sort of see all the gay art out there. Okay, so, so here's a good point. Here's a, here's a perfect thing to point out. So I typed uh, straight into FA and I got 125,000 responses, give take. Okay. I typed in gay and got about 320,000 responses so you would think oh that must mean there's twice as much gay art as there is straight art in the fandom but it's worth noting um little things like uh do people take uh, if, if there's if there's a gay scene uh it seems like there's almost an obligation to write in gay as a tag but if there's a straight scene if you live in a heteronormative society do people feel obligated to write a tag for straight even um, so it's entirely possible that you might have a lot of art there that's not tagged for straight, um, mm. but that is straight. And so you can't necessarily take that at face value, although it is, you know, um, the numbers are the numbers. And you can point out that it looks like there's twice as much just by the takes, twice as much gay art as straight art. But that's nowhere near the um, the way people make the stereotype out to be that, oh, there's so little straight art out there. Um, <laughs> a two to one ratio is not exactly the same thing as saying there's absolutely none. Have you tracked the prevalence of, of heterosexuality in the fandom over time? Has it shifted in numbers? Um, the problem with doing that is we've measured it in different ways over time. Mm. So you, it's difficult to compare apples to apples. Oh, we'll use oranges. Yeah, well. <laughs> hmm. So actually, this email is uh, not in the master list, but it did come in before we closed the bag. Uh, it says, hello, I'm a UK furry, and my fursona is a wolverine called Cerulean Wolvermarine. <laughs> wow, that'll, that'll bend my tongue. A friend in the furry fandom told me about your call for contributions from straight furries. I'm straight. I'm also polyamorous, a community in which there are also very few straight people. Warm regards, Cerulean Wolvermarine. So something that's interesting there is polyamory. Now... Does that influence how you count numbers? Do you know about polyamory much? We have a little bit of data on polyamory. I haven't looked to see whether or not it's um, more, whether if a person identifies as polyamorous, whether they're more likely to identify as straight or gay. Actually, during the break, if you want, I can quickly run those numbers and give you an answer on that. Oh, um, yeah, that'll give you some homework for the break. Um, yeah. We also got an email from Max, and he's from France. He's a Dalmatian. 
um, and he's also straight. So see, we what's interesting is we don't normally get emails um, where they just say, "Hey, I, count me, I'm one." And maybe we presented the question wrong, but it's interesting because like some people are like, hey, count me, which we've never really seen with any of other topics when we call for input. And so mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if if there is a certain perception of I'm the minority. Yeah, I mean, I would say that perhaps again, if you want to, to work on the assumption of heteronormativity in the rest of society, uh, if this is the first time. Uh, a straight person has had to deal with a group where they're not in the majority or the obvious majority. Um, it makes very salient to them the fact that, hey, at, v- at very least, I'm not in the majority. And so it makes the fact that they are not in the majority very salient to them. Um, they're very much aware of this. Whereas if you um, have lived your whole life gay in a society where you know, you're know you're less than 10 percent, um, you've kind of habituated and gotten used to the fact that this is the case for you kind of your whole life. Um, so this may, if nothing else, this may be people sort of coming to terms with um, this reality for the first time in their life. Um, oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> mm, interesting. So one thing before we go to break, I want to I wanna kind of get your brain turning on and then we'll go to break, is I want to kind of get into heteronormativity <laughs> in general. Like in a, not because in the furry fandom, you know, it's different, but in society at large, we're seeing a lot of upheaval in, in Western society about this kind of thing. Um, where heteronormativity is no longer necessarily the norm. Not that it necessarily ever was, but culturally speaking, and how people are having all kinds of breakdown over this issue, among other things. So I'm going to pick your brain on that, but do you have anything to say before we go to break? Say something with your wacky voice, maybe? Um, hey, everyone, take your bets, and let's see what happens when I analyze that data. <laughs> <laughs> Hailing frequencies open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, October 11th, here are your space headlines. In the last week of September, the International Astronautical Congress was held in Adelaide, Australia. Many companies and organizations attended to unveil plans or updates to plans for the future of spaceflight. SpaceX was among them, and CEO Elon Musk was one of the keynote speakers. Musk announced updates to their interplanetary transport system architecture, now referring to it as the BFR, or Big Falcon Rocket though I'm sure you know what the F actually stands for. It's a slightly scaled-down version of their original design we saw last year, but it's still mightily impressive. We got to see more details on things like how in-orbit refueling works, how SpaceX is tackling the supersonic atmospheric entry problem that has plagued the Dragon 2, and even how they plan to fund the monster rocket. It's still going to be the biggest, most powerful rocket ever built, until someone outdoes it, and it will be completely reusable, both the first stage and the spacecraft itself. And to pay for it, Musk plans on building launch and landing pads all over the world for point-to-point suborbital flights, claiming you can get to anywhere on the planet in under an hour. He also revealed plans for a base on the moon, as well as what he would like the city on Mars to look like. They've had a few setbacks trying to reach for such lofty goals, but then SpaceX has never been one to shy away from such ambitious ideas. They're already building hardware for the BFR, testing the Raptor engines that will power it, and perfecting their composite liquid oxygen and propellant tanks. At least they realize that stealing underpants isn't a viable means of funding the project. Those are actually his words. The telescope that ate the budget is delayed. The James Webb telescope is essentially complete and the readiness tests continue, but as they perform their tests, ground crews find additional corrections that need to be made. So, instead of launching this month, next year, JDubs, as some astronomers call it, is slipping until 2019. This is actually rather fortunate. The October 2018 launch would have resulted in a possible conflict with ESA's and JAXA's Bepi Colombo Mercury probe, which was set to launch near the same time. Since James Webb is only going out to a Lagrange point, her launch window is a little more flexible. Bepi Colombo is relying on a couple of gravity assists from Venus to get to Mercury, which means the launch window has to be very precise. So while James Webb is delayed, it eases the launch schedule on Ariane Space, who is providing the rockets for both missions. China's had a string of bad luck lately. They lost a couple of missions at launch and haven't been terribly forthcoming with details, but they're getting back on the horse. The failures have caused their timetables to slip, delaying their lunar missions, but they're determined to keep going. Recently, the Chinese space agency successfully launched three experimental remote-sensing satellites with a long march to sea, and just earlier this week, on Monday, October 9th, they had another successful launch. 
the Long March 3 and 5 series rockets are still grounded as experts determine what went wrong with both. I'm sure they'll have the medium and heavy lift boosters back up and running in no time. In other news, the crew on the ISS conducted an EVA to repair the robotic arm, Canada Arm 2. Ariane 5 successfully launched, carrying two communication satellites. The National Space Council held its first meeting. Vice President Pence held a conference in the Air and Space Museum in front of the space shuttle, announcing that America's focus is to first get Americans launching from American soil again, and then to aim us at the moon as a stepping stone at getting to Mars. NASA has extended the mission life of the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module on the ISS. They've been collecting a lot of data and have found that it's been performing better than expected. Right now, they're looking at using the beam as additional storage with the possibility of other uses in the future. SpaceX delayed the launch of a communication satellite for SES on top of another flight-proven first stage, but then successfully flew earlier tonight, Wednesday, October 11th. And that came after the successful launch of a third batch of satellites for the Iridium constellation. Both saw successful landings of the first stage. And in total, there is a possibility for nine launches for this week. By the time this is recorded, many will have already seen their launch windows. And there are more on the way. There's too much to cover here, so check back with me at the end of the month. That's all for this round. It's been a little over a month since my last update, and a lot has happened, including a few hurricanes. If you want to find out what happened during the season break, check out my podcast, Committed to Launch, over at committedtolaunch.com. And you can follow at launchcommit on Twitter. Until next time... This is Smokescale Aquatus saying, keep looking up, space fans. You're listening to For What It's Worth. Anyway, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed your space news and... Before we return to the topic of straight furries and get into the really deep stuff, we need to do the thing we always do, which is worship our Patreon sponsors. So, we changed our music to show our appropriate worship and are ready. So, we've changed our, our shoutouts now. Uh, we There are more tiers with them. So, starting from the highest, let's do highest, the highest, the people we sold out to the most, all the way down to the people we sold out the least. First off, actually, I have a prop for this. In my hand, I hold our first sponsor. That's right. I have a Doritos Locos Taco in my hand. It's a fire one. Thanks, Dokos. You're our top supporter for the month. Mm. Next, we have Rifka. Then we have Loki Mutt, Guardian Lion, Snares, the creator of Meteor Showers, Swift, Skylos. So, thank you all so much for supporting the show. We love you. Now I'm going to talk about Patreon without this weird music in the background because it's just killing me. So, we changed Patreon a bit. If you want to support the show, now you have more options. So, if you pledge more than uh, 20, I think it's 25, you get a sticker in our channel exclusive sticker pack every month. You don't get to choose the pose. If you pledge more than 50, you get two stickers. Again, you don't get to choose the pose. You can gift your sticker to someone else. But if you pledge at the top tier, then you can choose the poses and we'll randomly pair them up with each person. And they will be going on all season. So series one will match season seven. And then at the end, you'll have a really cool sticker pack from For What It's Worth to keep all your wonderful memories. Um, you also get a larger icon the more you pledge and you get shout outs the more you pledge like this episode. So hopefully you will consider supporting the show. We try and make it fun. You you're also for just me. a better person. And I said you're also just a better person if you support the show. Oh yeah, well that's so, it, it's scientific. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Does this is this a rash? Uh, not that kind of doctor. Ah, oh, damn. Okay, so we were going to talk a little bit about heteronormativity and the social moray. So. Nuka, if you would, define social moray for us and then kind of talk about how the quote-unquote breakdown of heteronormativity in current Western society is causing people to go mad. Well, that's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of just dropped that on me. <laughs> what? I told you it was coming. Don't don't pretend. I, I, I admit I don't know what a moray is because it's not a term we use in social psychology. Bull. Hold on. I, well, but I can grab my social psych textbook. It's sitting right here. No, no. It's um, it's it's more than a social norm. It's like 
a social it's it's like level two where like if you if you if you push a social norm people will kind of look at you funny if you push a social moray people tend to get violent i see i don't know how to spell it though so it's just one of those things where you can use norm i suppose but people have gotten so used to it that yeah so so if we're going to talk about it as a norm it's sort of the uh, when you're a fish in the water, you, you don't notice the water because you're kind of floating in it mm-hmm. and it's all around you. And I would argue that's kind of the, the way it is with heteronormativity in our society. We're in a society where we just kind of take it as a, as a default that uh, unless we hear otherwise, we assume your sexuality is uh, heterosexual. We assume that a relationship uh, is a heterosexual one. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's very salient whenever a person uh, sort of goes against this norm. Um, it's jarring. It's surprising to us. It's it's an issue. It's something that that's worth talking about. So Moray's just <clears throat> to clarify what it was is introduced into English by William Graham Sumner, who was an early U.S. sociologist, to refer to social norms that are widely observed and are considered to have greater moral significance than others. They include an aversion to societal taboos such as incest. The mores of society usually predicate legislation prohibiting their tattoos. Or taboos. Ha <laughs> ha. Often countries will employ specialized vice squads or vice police engaged in suppressing mm. specific crimes offending societal mores. So an important thing worth noting in there is the uh, inclusion of morality in the definition there. So uh, whereas a norm doesn't necessarily have to have a moral component to it, you know, there can be a norm that says, uh, you know, you, you, you walk on the right side of the, the, the street or whatever, right. uh, the sidewalk. That's There's no moral component to that, but it sounds like a more a specifically has this moral component to it as a necessary part of the definition. Right. So there are laws in the world right now where if you come out as gay, or I would argue bisexual, you get put to death. Yeah. And in the U.S. until recently, because that's where I live, you could not get married until, I think, almost two years ago, if you were gay. And then I think it was about roughly 10 years ago, sodomy laws were declared unconstitutional, which, of course, sodomy is anal sex and comes from... Well, more broadly <laughs> speaking, I think it's 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 a broader category, uh, meaning, you know, I think it's, I think it's, and it's non-vaginal sex, isn't it? Or... I, I Cause, don't know. Cause Why it's don't you <laughs> <laughs> Then Google will be like, hey, I know what you're into. Uh, well, no, because it comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which yeah, are, yeah. and so sodomy in itself i've i mean in most laws specifically i think call out you can't have anal sex don't they but i thought that in some context even oral sex was considered sodomy yeah so uh according oh, to yeah. uh, dictionary here uh oral copulation is also considered sodomy right okay so blowjob or, or an anus yep um now i'm mentioning a talking anus thank you and so Ten years ago, they they said, "Well, those laws are unconstitutional." Number one, I question why are we passing laws about the bedroom? Like, is someone is Miss Kravitz like leaning in everyone's houses, going, "Hmm." Um, but w- I think there's laws against that sort of thing. Well, apparently not. And then you have these these shifts in in society, and a lot of people can't handle it to the point where people are still violent about it. There are still hate crimes about it, and so forth. And so, why why do why do groups get so upset about this kind of thing? Well, I think in part because you've attached the moral component to it. Um, anytime uh, there's opinions, and then there's there's moral issues. And I think when it comes to just regular opinions, um, people can be fairly rational. There's research suggesting that if you you know present enough um, evidence to someone uh, that their opinion is wrong they can uh, often change their minds and, and be reasoned with. But as soon as you add a moral component to it, um, when something has a moral issue, it's uh, kind of like a line in the sand that you can't cross. This is this is the way it is, and uh, people will defend it to the point of complete irrationality. They've done studies uh, on a subject called moral flabbergasting, which shows that uh, as soon as you make something a moral issue, uh, even when you break down and explain quite rationally and calmly why every single one of their counter-arguments is wrong, they will still vehemently deny it uh, because it's not grounded in in rationality. It's grounded in powerful emotions as well. Everything from fear to hatred um, to disgust. These are powerful emotions that uh, you can't just sort of rationalize your way out of. So in social psychology, I know it's more than just one person, right? 
Yeah. So if there's been this generations and generations and thousands of years in moray norm custom of, say, you know, heterosexuality, it's so that it became assumed and you wind up with heteronormativity. And then you have this violent shift. I mean, is it is it, and I know this is kind of guesswork, but is it likely that people start acting out and shooting places up and getting violent, contributing to really violent behaviors that we're seeing now, very polarizing behaviors as a result of the sudden shift of what's been the norm forever? Well, I think anytime you change something that's got a moral component to it, people will will vehemently push back against it. If it's a if it's a moral issue, regardless of what the moral issue is, um, people will have powerful emotional responses to it. Take an issue like abortion. Um, abortion is another one of those issues that has a very powerful moral component to it. Uh, and so you don't get people very calmly saying, "Oh, well, you won the argument. I guess we're just gonna uh, turn over and be okay with with abortion now." Um, it's something that they will oftentimes believe is right or wrong until the day they die. And so in those sorts of instances, you don't really get uh, one generation changing. You typically, the changes happen across generations. So with each passing generation, you get greater and greater acceptance. But um, until the old guard is gone, uh, those people will, will continue to push back and continue to oppose it um, really until the day they die in, in a lot of cases. So. I think we probably ought to define what morality is in this case. So how do you define morality? Oh, God. Um, uh, I mean, it's hard to define without necessarily having a, a circular component, because I would say anything that has to do with a moral issue. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, when it's a question of what is right or what is wrong, uh, often with this ethical component, I guess, without pulling up a dictionary definition, that would be my argument. If you, actually if you say what ought dictionary. to be with a right or wrong. Pardon? You nailed it. It says principles uh, concerning the distinction between right and wrong. Yeah. And so, well, no, and so I'm, I'm just tying this all back because it's, I'm wondering on the one hand, in the furry fandom, if you're straight and you've grown up in a historically heteronormative society to the point where laws and just jargon are, are geared towards heterosexuality, and then you enter this group where, no, that's not the norm, if it either could make someone feel excluded or drive them away, or... You know, if they get married, suddenly it's like, eh, maybe I'm not going to fit in with this group so much. Which, because, mm. again, I'm, I'm, what I'm really doing is looking for that over 30 answer. Any chance I get. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you get where I'm going with that? Like, do you think that there's an exclusionary vibe that can come off of that? Because I know I felt excluded as, as a gay person. In the furry fandom? Sure. Um... I hmm, that's a tough one. Um, well, what about like I mean, I say art acceptance and stuff? Uh, I mean, the, the the research suggests that um, within the very fandom, there there's uh, powerful acceptance of persons from all walks of life, including gay people. So uh, recently, uh, on a survey, we actually asked gay furries, straight furries, and transgender furries to what extent are gay furries, straight furries, and transgender furries accepted within the fandom. So there's a sort of seven-point scale for each one, and they had to say how accepted is each group. And across the board, uh, whether it was a, a straight furry, a gay furry, bisexual furry, a transgender furry answering, they all tended to agree that gay, straight, and transgender furries were all very highly accepted within the furry fandom. Uh, typically, they scored higher than six out of seven on average on these scores, um, although it does seem to suggest um, that straight furries were the least accepted. Um, we're talking about 6.2 out of 7, so uh, there's not exactly a huge persecution uh, toward uh, straight furries in the fandom. Uh, but it does suggest that, yeah, the groups tend to be pretty well accepted. Whether you're asking gay furries or straight furries, everyone seems to see um, gay furries as being pretty well accepted in the fandom, uh, especially when you contrast it to the way they're uh, treated sort of outside the fandom in the day-to-day -day life. Hmm. So now all these questions about like is morality connected? Then is there like I wonder what influence the it being a, a moral issue per se has on it? Well, I mean, it, when, when you consider as well the fact that the furry fandom has a lot of its roots in LGBT communities uh, in cities like San Francisco or Toronto, for example, um, it's not surprising to see that from the get-go the furry <laughs> fandom had it instilled in its very roots this um, sort of fundamental acceptance of people 
from all walks of life, at least across the, the sexual spectrum. Gotcha. Well, let's move to the other email we got. This one's from Red. I'm going to let you read it because, you know, I like hearing your voice and all that. I like hearing my voice, too. Oh. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Uh, hello there, chaps. I instantly assume that uh, Red is is perhaps British with that sort of uh, intro. Uh, this show topic, while pretty straightforward, has definitely made me think about my own identity and sexuality on a pretty deep level. Hopefully, I can get those thoughts into words in a useful way for you fellas. Before I get too ahead of myself, yes, I am hetero, but it's a little more complex than just straight for me. No small part thanks to my time in the fandom. This is because while I'm interested in females, that interest also extends to trans women and feminine non-binary types. I briefly considered myself bi with a female preference, but as I've had more time to think on it, I realize that I'm not physically into males. In short, it isn't because of heteronormativity that I identify as such, but it's my honest personal preference and turn on. On the other hand, though, it's important to note for me, and I'd suspect for many other furs like myself, that I can extend a more affectionate and emotionally available eye towards people of my own sex, provided I know I'm in a group where this is a normal behavior like our own community. To make it more concise, I feel all right giving proper hugs and saying someone looks good or has a nice outfit, and I deliberately appreciate a lot of male-centered artwork we see here in the fandom. I just never take anything to a romantic or sexual level because I know it isn't really my thing. The fandom has played a large role in me being this more open version of hetero through just how emotionally vibrant, compassionate, and personable so many of the furs I've encountered have been and continue to be. While I know myself, or while I know I myself don't fit into all spaces many furs participate in by way of my identity and life outside of the community, I continue to seek and emulate the best behaviors we show. My exposure to artwork expressing preferences and gender-defying behavior different than my own has allowed me to question those preferences and helps me find my sexuality and self in one of the most healthy ways I can. Hope that continues to be the case for many years to come. Hope this was fairly clear and was less a letdown than my response on the Lifestylers episode for Tugs. It was. Cheers, Red. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I kind of wouldn't mind responding to that quickly. You have you have read a first response. Yes. Um... So uh, Red actually touches on something that we talk about in social psychology, the fact that when we talk, when we talk, when people think about the love, they kind of conflate three different kinds of love. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to totally get them all wrong here uh, because I don't have a textbook in front of me. But the gist of it is the sort of the love that you can feel towards like a sibling um, or a good friend, uh, that sort of like close bond without necessarily any sort of sexual component to it. There's passionate love, which is this idea of sort of being infatuated with someone, um, this idea of, of it's very sexually driven. But then there's also this uh, long-term kind of companionate love, this idea that you you have this long-term soul bond, pair bond, whatever you want to call it, this deep, meaningful bond with someone. And all three of them uh, are quite distinct from one another. So it's entirely possible to have one, two, or all three of those uh, for any one person. Um, it's entirely possible for a person to say, hey, I love my best friend. Uh, I just don't have sexual feelings for him uh, or he's not my, my soulmate or, or that sort of thing. But I still love the guy. Um, and I think that's sort of what Red's alluding to, this idea that you can um, – and furries seem to be very good at, at acknowledging, hey, it's OK, uh, even if you're, you're not gay, to totally be very huggy, to show uh, affection and love towards someone um, without necessitating that sexual component to it. You know, that's interesting because I, I remember when I was a kid, and maybe it's still the same way now, but when I was a kid, I remember, you know, the word love was something that was more freely used. Like, you know, I love this. I mean, people still say I love this, but they'll go like, I love you to someone. But it wasn't romantic, and it seems like either the years have gone by or the world has changed or both, where it's the word love has become more and more just meaning romantic. more like because And then it's like, I care for you if it's something where it's, you know, platonic. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, is is that? I I know you don't have data on that, but but am I the only one think, thinking that? Um, I guess I can't really speak to whether or not it's it's changed over time. Um, I know that in society that seems to be the case, at least that people. I mean, we 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 hear the term terms like bromance, for example, suggesting that hey, two guy friends can have a very very powerful close bond with one another, and that's okay. I think as we move away from, um. You know, we, we may still be a very heteronormative culture, but we are starting to move away from being a, a homophobic culture. 
um, where, where guys are a little more comfortable um, showing affection towards another guy without, oh, dude, that's totally gay. Mm. Um, I think as you move in that direction, it becomes more okay for these things to be expressed. Um, I say that without any kind of data. No, no, but but you make a good point because in in a way, on the first thought I had as well. Okay, so we, we're not using the word love because for whatever reason, people love avoidant language in many many aspects, and we have bromance. But the fact that the bromance is a thing people get and understand and are accepting of does mean that yeah, that we have changed in that way that you've said. Yeah, whether it's changed to recognize it in the first place or changed in that it was always there, but now we were much more comfortable talking about it without it being misconstrued. I think there was a lot of fear among men that uh, saying that you love your best friend would be construed as, oh, so that means you want to have sex with him because that's the only kind of love that exists. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I, I just cracked open my psych textbook and the three terms I was looking for are romantic love companionate love and fatuous love so fatuous love is the the uh um infatuation kind of love companionate love is the like long-term best friends or, or love for a sibling uh-huh. and romantic love is the the long-term pair bonding kind of love ah well you know what that means the more you know <laughs> you know and he had on this other thing too that you that you got on which was um being open to acts of affection and expressing those acts with people of your own gender but not necessarily being homosexual so like there are guys i know that'll be like i love to cuddle i'll cuddle anybody but don't put your hand in my don't don't but leave my dick alone and it's interesting because until i came to the fandom i had that had never been like that completely broke my mind it was like someone just hit a bad note in the symphony and like all of them got thrown off hmm and now, to be fair, I mean, like, I was learning a lot about sexuality when I was coming into the fandom, so it may yeah. just be coincidental, but I don't know of this being a thing people do outside of the fandom. I, I mean, I know there are cuddle parties out there. I live in a city where they have cuddle parties now. It's interesting. I don't go to them. Um, but, like, guys, as far as I know, aren't cuddling with other guys that much. There's not a lot of physical. Well, it, it very much is a cultural thing, so I don't know necessarily about cuddling specifically but i know that in other cultures it's it's far more appropriate for uh say two teenage girls who are just good friends to hold hands and walk with each other um and that that and there wouldn't be an assumption oh they must be be lesbians or something um that's just a thing that's that that physical affection is far more appropriate in other cultures it seems to be in north american culture where there's that that big aversion uh to this sort of thing i guess not just north american culture too i imagine um uh, many other cultures which are more restrictive where they might frown upon this sort of thing. Hmm. Right. So, yeah, it's just – sorry, my mind's going a hundred different ways on this because it's, it's just really interesting that he hit on that. And I and I'm, I know I know that just our audience, that someone that's going, yeah, I'm kind of like that too. I, I don't mind a little physical affection and, and so forth. But then sometimes they take it too far. And like, am I the only one? No, you're not the only one. I all my friends that I have that are straight often say that you know what I don't mind a good cuddle but I'm really careful about it now because you know then they get a little too too frisky and and it's you know don't do that people come on don't get frisky with yeah. people who don't well, want to I, I think it has to do I think it has to do with uh, again whether we're talking the furry fandom or the general you know fa- uh, society in general we don't we don't necessarily have good words for these sorts of things we don't we always kind of conflate all three of these things. When you say you love someone or, or when you you know want to cuddle with someone, it's always assumed, oh, this is this must be a romantic thing. This must be a way of showing romantic uh, attraction to someone. And because we don't regularly make this distinction, um, a lot of wires get crossed. A lot of mixed messages get sent. Right. So I would say if this is a concern of yours, say simply, I like cuddling. I'm good with scritching and pets. But don't don't take it further, please. I would prefer X. Yeah. Whatever. Or, or just make your intentions super super clear. Hey, I'm I'm not looking for for someone you know romantically or not my thing. But hey, cuddling's good. Just don't don't expect it to go any further than that. Right. And I find with a lot of people, if you're just super, if you have that very blunt and just super open and honest conversation up front, it's a lot easier for everyone involved in the in the long run. You're not worrying what they're thinking. They're not worried that they're maybe misinterpreting your signals. 
Um, it's just easier for everyone involved. So if you lay all your, your cards on the table like that. Well, and, and you're dead on. And I think the hesitation there is that people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, especially when you're younger and you don't have some of that life seasoning. That, that, <clears throat> yeah. you, that if you say something that, oh, I just don't want you to feel bad, so I'm just going to let this thing happen, which is in no way healthy. None. Yeah, because all, all you've done now is you, you've, you've led them on. They're going to go on further uh, before having their heart crushed later on. And so you're you're not doing them any favors by leaving them to ambiguity for a longer period of time. <laughs> exactly. And I've been on the I've been on both ends of that, you know, through through experience and, and mistakes where it's just like, oh, I should have said something. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if you want to cuddle somebody, say that all you want to do is cuddle. Because if and this is true of any lie, because you can lie by by direct fabrication, you can lie by omission, and a combination of the two. Lying by omission is something that a lot of people do, but they're not aware of. And I mean, everyone does it. And if you don't tell somebody what you want, and then you just let them make assumptions, that isn't a sort of way lying by omission. But my point is, a lie is like a debt. <clears throat> you or the actions already happened. The lie is the interest. So if you you're not going to, you're not going to, if they're going to be disappointed, they're going to be disappointed, period. But lying about it makes it worse. So why yeah. take out a debt with extra interest? I, I don't know of anyone who likes to pay extra bills. That's a really good way of putting it. I actually never heard that way of putting it, but I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that I learned early on and it really did feel like that. I've, I've been in so many situations uh, and, you know, when I was younger where well, I just don't want you to feel bad. And, you know, thankfully, with experience, I've learned there are there are ways to craft statements of, you know, that's not my thing without directly saying, stop it. That's not uh, you're making me uncomfortable. And, yeah, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Right. And and with practice, you get it right. But, yeah, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, the debt thing I learned quickly. And I, I don't like debt with interest. I, I'd rather just if I've, if I've made a mistake, I made a mistake, period. Let's just yeah. not make it worse. All right. So so I'm, I'm rambling, but. um. What other fun facts do you have for us? That was it. <laughs> that was it. Fine, we'll go to break. Jeez, this part, this part's getting cut. <laughs> Maybe. You're listening to For What It's Worth. It's so good to be back for another season. If you thought they were getting rid of me, never fear. I've got a real pit bull for a lawyer. Seriously, he's a literal pit bull. This episode is brought to you by For What It's Worth brand batteries. When you need something to power that special toy of yours, you know which one I'm talking about, just reach for For What It's Worth brand batteries. Our special lead and mercury formula provides only the best charge. Your neck massager will be rumbling away, providing you with some much needed relaxation in no time. And make sure it's a For What It's Worth brand neck massager. Or if you'd rather just give your money directly to these silly people, you could contribute to the Patreon campaign. Just go visit that newfangled World Wide Web and surf over to patreon.com slash fwiw. There are plenty of reward tiers available, but not one that will let the audience control the soundboard yet. Gonna have to work on that one. For what it's worth, brand batteries. Just look for the package with the curly tail. Now, we here at For What It's Worth have noticed our secret messages have been getting decoded by some unsavory sorts. So, drastic measures have forced us to update our code. Did you get our secret telegram with the updated codex? Good. Here's this week's secret message. Four, five, twenty, seventeen, three, eighteen, thirteen, twenty, twenty, sixteen, nine, 23. Good luck. And welcome to the final segment. So we, you know what? We didn't get a lot of email about straight furries. So we're going to move to final thoughts on those. And then we have something else for you. Something exciting and interesting. So final thoughts on straight furries, Nuka. Um, can I put it on the spot here? I should, I should have known better. Uh, I would say that there's this idea among a lot of straight furries and even among uh, sort of not straight furries perpetuate the misconception that uh, straight furries are an anomaly in the fandom. Straight furries are, are rare or I'm one of the elusive ones. Um, in actuality, they're they're not as elusive as, as one might think. 30% of the fandom is certainly not um, uh, uh, a very a rarity or something that you never see. Um, it kind of feels that way sometimes compared to the rest of society, but um, – 
straight furries are absolutely there. The fandom loves straight furries. We get along just fine with them. Um, yeah, I, I think it, if anything, it would be kind of nice if people would sort of uh, stop spreading the misconception, I guess, <laughs> to, to stop making straight furries feel bad uh, about not being uh, the super majority, but also to, to make uh, gay furries and bisexual furries and asexual furries not feel bad um, for, for not being, uh, as minority as they are in, in the rest of, of society. That'd be kind of nice, I guess. So everyone should just get along. Yeah. Just, just be nice to each other. Be cool. Okay. Perfect. I will echo those thoughts. So let me get the, <laughs> that paint, was lazy. <laughs> the paintbrush. It was lazy. The paintbrush of doom, which I can't find now. The next thing that we have is some research. So Nuka, you do research every now and then I hear. I've been known to to research on occasion. <laughs> I've been known to science from time to time. And you have finished a new analysis, right? Yeah. So uh, at Anthrocon this summer, we collected uh, more than a thousand, or we, we collected about uh, uh, a thousand responses from participants there. Uh, people always ask, you know, as they're filling up the surveys, oh, so when are you going to have the results? Like next week? And uh, the reality is it takes about a month and a half to enter all the data and then another month or so to write it all up and to analyze it. And so here we are in October uh, talking about what we found uh, in the survey we gave out at Anthrocon in July. But uh, there's going to be more about this. I'll be talking about it more in, in probably a future episode of the show. Um, but we got sort of some teaser data right now. So if you like what you um, hear, tell us so we can you know look at making an episode about it right in. Absolutely. So one of the we're always telling furries that they should uh, give us ideas, pitch ideas to us for research. And one of the coolest findings we found this year actually came from uh, an older furry in the fandom, a gray muzzle, who wanted us to look at ageism in the fandom and this idea um, that a lot of gray muzzles feel like they sort of get ostracized or picked on uh, by younger furries in the fandom. And so we looked at it. And sure enough, there's a bit of truth to that idea. The idea that younger furries in the fandom tend to say uh, that they're less interested in interacting with older furries, whether it's talking to them at uh, meetups or hanging out with them at a convention or um, anything like that. Uh, but what's sort of interesting is that on the flip side, you also see ageism in the other direction where older furries are typically less interested in interacting with younger furries in the fandom. So it kind of both goes both ways. And the data seems to suggest that furries really just like to hang out with people the same age as themselves. So if you're 20 years old, you tend to like to hang out with furries who are 20 years old. If you're 30 years old, you tend to hang out with furries who are in their 30s. And if you're in your 50s, you tend to hang out with furries who are in their 40s or 50s. All three of them. Part of the reason. Yeah. Well, part of the reason is because you have this cohort effect, right? You, when you got into the Phantom, a different set of shows were popular at the time. A That's different what set it's of called a cohort. Yeah. Yes, I've been. I couldn't. I I knew there was a word for it. Cohort effect. Yep. And so yeah, so so the shows that were popular when you first got into the fandom aren't popular with people anymore. And so and, and moreover, you're at a different part in your life. You know, the forty year old furries might hang out and talk about a show that was popular twenty years ago, in addition to talking about their mortgage payments. Whereas an eighteen year old furry is gonna be talking about an entirely different shows, set of shows or artists, and they're gonna talk about an entirely different set of life circumstances. And so it kind of makes sense that you're the most interested in hanging out with those who are the same age as you. You know what that reminds uh, me of? I what? I so I, I was talking I I don't do it as much now, admittedly, so I perfectly line up with your data. But I would talk to people who were younger, newer in the fandom, and I and I don't have an aversion to it necessarily. Uh, I don't do it as often because I, I can't relate to them as easily, this cohort effect. But one time <laughs> I remember specifically that someone was like, you know, I really love I loved watching Barney. And as a grown-ass adult, I was like, really? That show's terrible. Like, the same emotional, visceral reaction I would have had when I was 10. Like, it was the funniest thing. And so I'm wondering, you know, and I know you, I know you don't know, but I bet you there's still yeah. some of that same, you liked that show? Come on. Like, people will say that about SpongeBob now. Like, you like SpongeBob? Yeah. We're actually looking into that on our next survey, hopefully. Uh, look into that idea of elitism and looking down on people based on what their interests are. So, oh, also it, the data seems to suggest that being 25 is the ideal age in the fandom. It's Everyone true. seems to be pretty warm towards 25 year olds. 25 year olds have got it where they're just about to fossilize and they've had enough experience. They don't have to deal with all the emotional BS. 
Yeah. So all the 18-year-olds want to hang out with 25-year-olds. All the 25-year-olds want to hang out with them. And all the 35-year-olds and even some of the 45 and 55-year-olds kind of want to hang out with the 25-year-olds. You know, there was another thing I was going to say, too, which I think that the – other than cohort effect, I've noticed at least that there's a bit of a predatory fear, I think, in the younger group than there is like, oh, a 50-year-old wants to get with an 18-year-old. And a lot of people may not like that idea. Um, Fair points. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can look into where this comes from in, in a future study probably, but for now, it's pretty cool just to show mm-hmm. that there was some truth to this this fellow's intuition that, yeah, there is yeah, – younger furries tend to look down on older furries, and older furries tend to look down on younger furries. Yep. All right. What else have you learned? So I, ca- I kind of want to turn this on you a little bit. This is a bit of revenge for all of the uh, – all of the times where you've asked me questions that that have made me feel like I look no next to no next to nothing. That just shows um, that there's a lot to know. Exactly. Well, we're going to see how much you know now because I, one of the things <laughs> one of one of the things we've we've done is we uh, for the first time and this is a huge undertaking. We looked at a gigantic list of all the popular content creators in the fandom, uh, popular genres of music, popular genres of TV, popular genres of. Uh, or other sort of popular activities among furries. So um, let's see if you can guess who the most popular content creator or performer in the furry fandom is. For what it's worth. For Sorry, <laughs> for what it's worth was not in the top uh, 25. I apologize. I know we won't be. We never will be. Hey, guys, if you like the show, tell a friend. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. have them fill it out on one of Nuka's surveys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I did a little guessing on break, but I didn't, but I made you hold on number one. So, yeah. So you guessed to the ranting Griffin who was not, he was in third place. Yep. And then... Uh, uncle Kage was number six. Um, you guessed, uh, I think you guessed pepper, right? Yeah. Pe- pepper is tied with Kyle gold for seventh. So it's not Kyle gold. Uh, Marcy McAdam you mentioned was, uh, tied for 15th. So you get a few more guesses and then I'll, I'll tell you, uh, man, what's left. Now this is like fandom sourced creators, right? So it's not like some external like media, right? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not like Disney or anything like that. Oh, and it's, it, it's, and it's, it's art um, and like podcasts. Creators or performers. It can be every, we suggest everything from podcasters to artists, to musicians, to fursuiters, to you name it. I'm going to guess not cast. Not cast. Uh, no, not cast was not in the top 20. Oh, <laughs> oh, They've been around longer than we have. I'm surprised. Which isn't to say they weren't named. They just weren't in the the big. No, no, I know. I'm just like, wow. Um, That's okay. I already feel old because a lot of these I didn't recognize. I had to Google and be like, who the hell was this? (laughs) Really? Okay. Um, I'm I'm running out of uh, like I, I, I would guess Michelle Light. Uh, Michelle Light was uh, tied with a lot of people in 20th. Wow, a lot of people are see. I'm like, I'm like, oh, old school. Who's? Yeah. What about nice? Is nice in there? Uh, the singing dog. Yes, nice is in there. Uh, can't find. There's a bunch of people who sort of are tied. Oh. I think tenth, tied for tenth. Nice, nice. Hi, nice. He listens. <laughs> um, oh, shoot. Okay, I. Next one should be the one I do. Yes, you, you get like one or two more guesses. Have I been close at all? No, you haven't gotten first or second. Ah, oh, screw me. Um, I don't know, man. I can't. I can't. I'm drawing a blank because I'm on the spot. I could go like cheat and look at WikiFair right now, but yeah. I, I, I'll give you hints. I'll give you hints. Number one is not an artist. Okay. Is not a podcaster. Is a fursuiter. Oh. It's not arty, is it? Nope. How many I give see? Up. I don't pay attention to famous fursuiters a ton. Give, give up? Yeah, I give up. Telephone. Of course, telephone. Yeah, telephone is uh, according to this, the most popular, uh, recognizable furry creator or performer in the fandom right now. Hi, telephone. <laughs> All right, now now to put you on the spot one more time. Okay. Uh, or maybe a few more times. We'll My see body here. is ready. <laughs> Okay, do you want to guess what the most popular um, film or television genre is among furries? Uh, it's got to be Disney. Like animated uh, Disney. Animation? I, I lumped that together with cartoons in general, and that was sixth. Shut up. Yep, that was number six. 
And you said it's, sorry, movie and television genre? Yeah, film or television, yeah, genre. Comedy. Comedy was third. What? It can't be drama. Uh, no, drama was seventh. Oh, drama good. was just I'm under so proud of you, fandom. Um, <laughs> it's uh, anime? Uh, anime's eighth under drama. Why is that not lumped in with cartoons? Uh, I thought it was different. If you lump them together, they go up to like fourth. Oh, okay. Um, web series don't count as a, as a separate category, do they? No. no. Okay. You're going to kick yourself when you hear number one. Well, I see. I count sitcom as comedy, so if you count it as separate, that's not fair. No, nope, it's it's comedy. I put it under comedy. Okay. Uh, documentary. No, documentary was nine. I don't know. Science fiction. Of course it's science. What am I doing? Science fiction is number one. Ah, uh, right. that's, that's it. I'm turning off the mic. Really? <laughs> I sh- it's so obvious. Right? Uh, right. You, you got to redeem yourself. You get one more. Uh, what is sh- the most popular genre of music in the furry fandom? I want to say electronica, but I think it's going to be more like hip hop. Electronica was fourth. Hip hop was 11th. <sighs> like video game music. Soundtracks. Uh, soundtracks is 13th. Well, at least it's in there. Is it going to be just pop? Pop is third. Drum and bass. <laughs> uh, nope. It's a really unexciting answer, actually. Classical? Uh, nope, that's sixth. Uh, no, no. Come on, come on. I, this can't give be up. that hard. No, I don't want to give up. <laughs> uh, it's an unexciting answer. Adult unexciting contemporary. Answer. Nope. Okay, now I give up. Rock. I I swear it was not going to be rock. But wait, wait, wait. Are we talking about like heavy metal or like classic metal rock? Metal seconds. <laughs> well, of course rock classic it. rock. Yep. Good taste. <laughs> now, what's your favorite? What's my favorite? Yeah. Uh, techno. Electronic. 90, 90s techno, yeah. I love I love a good epic trance myself. Yep. Yep. Mm. So all of this, 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 all of this and a whole bunch more stuff. Uh, in the uh, newest uh, data set we've got. So lots of really cool stuff there. Will that come out in the IARP Monthly or Psychology Today? Um, not on Psychology Today. It'll be on the IARP websites. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. One more, one more. I get one, one more fun fun fact I got to do this oh, for Oh, here you. we go. Okay, so you get to guess ballpark range here. Um, among convention-going fans, how much uh, money have they spent uh, in, in dollars, in U.S. dollars, in the past 12 months on physical artwork, what is the average amount that has been spent? Two hundred fifty dollars. Sixteen fifty. Oh. Um. What is the average amount that has been spent on uh, digital artwork? Fifty bucks. Forty. Pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, I'll give you one more here. How much? What is the uh, the median amount? So the most common amounts of money that a furry, the average furry, has spent on erotic content in the fandom. Two hundred fifty last bucks. year. <laughs> I'm not even going to downplay that one. Two fifty. Zero. Well, the median, the what? most common amounts that a furry has spent on erotica is zero dollars. What the hell? Yep. I'm a little upset by that. Pay for, for your porn. For- yeah, I said furries don't pay for their porn, apparently. Well, nobody pays for porn, really. But come on, man. Pay for some good art. <laughs> well, I think part of it, too, is like a lot of the artists I want won't draw it. So, yeah. 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 So. All right. Well, that'll be in IARP Monthly, which is also a companion issue of Grape News Quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what am I doing with my life, Nuka? Uh, what am I doing on a show with you? <laughs> uh, these are all the questions. Okay, so I will push the button that everyone likes, and we'll go to housekeeping. Have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. I kind of want to change the bumper, but I also want to call it house creeping. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, Halloween. It... Halloween's coming up. Yeah, so. it is. So. Speaking of, the next episode is our Halloween episode. Send your stories. You know what? We don't really have any yet. So, we really want them, or that episode won't happen. And it's a lot of fun to listen to them, you know. Like, even when I put them together and stuff, and you listen to the final product, I enjoy it. Your mind goes places and stuff. So, yeah. Send your stories in ASAP. Please keep them to no more than about two pages, just for the sake of brevity. Um, You know, if you're a little over, that's okay, but we reserve the right to edit just to keep things moving. But please, please send those ASAP. 
Remember, right. brevity is the soul of wit. That's true. We also want to thank the cast out there. So we have Koru, we have Firebreath, and we have Voss all providing support in the form of cable management, production stuff, or narration announcing like Firebreath does. And we will have to recognize that, of course, Canada is a huge contributor to our show because Firebreath <clears throat> is Canadian and you are Canadian. That's how I checked. <laughs> you have like a little like maple leaf. Don't tell me. Um... Next, if you like this show, let us know. Send us an email. Comment on the site. Say so in our Telegram group. We have a Telegram group because miners ruin it for everybody. Unfortunately, you have to message us through one of our social media channels. Tell us your Telegram username and we'll add you to the group. There's over 111 people. It's fun. And you can see the cool exclusive stickers. Nuka's in there too, by the way. On occasion. On occasion, that's right. Um... Oh, I had something super related to Telegram that I was going to say. And I don't remember what it is now. Either way, follow us on social media. We have Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and I think we have a couple unofficial amino groups and things. But follow us. Have fun. It's good for you. And as always, if you liked this show or any previous episode, tell a friend. More friends means more listeners. More listeners means more emails. And maybe some more Patreon patrons. And support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash FWIW. Your money literally pays our bills and keeps the lights on for the show. So, that's it. Any any last words? Nope. Ah, good. My back hurts. This chair is, is like, super nice. I bought this nice chair for moving. But, uh, my back does not want to deal with it today. (laughs) I know. All right, well, this is Tugs. And I'm your crazy sidekick, Nuka. (laughs) 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 This has been for what it's worth. worth.